gods before you. Please be seated. Good morning again. Uh, uh, let's apologize. I was a little flustered uh, at the beginning of the service when I did the welcome. Uh, my wife's shoulder came out of socket right before church. Um, so I was uh, running around doing that. And I don't know that I actually welcomed anyone when I got up to do the welcome. Um, so welcome, everyone. Uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, we are especially honored to have you here today um, and would love for you to fill out uh, one of the visitor cards in the pew in front of you. Um, and we've already passed the offering plates, uh, which means you can take it to the communications booth in the foyer and get a free gift. Um, so uh, we'd love for you to fill those cards out. Love to have uh, information on you and be able to uh, reach out and serve you. Uh, also, following worship, uh, we will have a lunch uh, honoring our seniors and their families uh, and would love for everyone to be here for that. Um, so lunch has been uh, prepared over the weekend and uh, there's more than enough food down there. So uh, just come, enjoy, eat um, and celebrate with us. Uh, we'd love to have you, uh, especially our guests, uh, Come have a, a free lunch with us and let us get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Doug and his family are out of town for a family reunion uh, this weekend. And so uh, I am uh, preaching, filling in for him as well as because uh, that's the tradition for Senior Sunday that the youth guy preaches. Uh, so one of, the, one of the times I get to get up here. Um, so this morning, uh, I want to take us through... Uh, tying in with the sermon series that Doug has been uh, preaching through as modern day saints uh, and look a little bit at our uh, identity, um, but especially a calling as we go out, uh, as we look at uh, for our seniors who are getting ready to walk out the door uh, of youth and into the uh, world of young adults. Um, there's an adage that came to mind that I remember as I was walking out the door when I was younger, and I'm sure many of your parents shared this with you as well. Uh, as we were leaving, going to a friend's house, going out to do whatever, uh, we got the words, remember who you are and whose you are. Uh, and we would get this uh, told to us, I think, primary uh, from our parents' point of view so that uh, it would spare themselves embarrassment. Uh, they did not want us to go out and make a fool of ourselves uh, because uh, what we do reflects upon them. And I think if you're on the receiving end of those words, that's usually, that was how, how I took it. Uh, remember who you are and whose you are. Uh, if you mess up, it's coming back to us. Um, and I think uh, we also knew that if we did something, uh, or like I did, I knew if I messed up at a friend's house or I did something publicly that was not correct, uh, that I would get in double trouble when I got home. Uh, so better to mess up at home than to mess up in front of other people because you would get a double punishment if you messed up in public. Uh, parents want their children to behave. They don't want uh, their parent, they don't want their children to be uh, an embarrassment to them or their family, and so they would give these words. Uh, and it was kind of a pressure uh, upon us of don't go out and mess things up. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. 
Um, you represent something when you go out. Uh, I think throughout life we get a variety of different types of uh, warnings and words of wisdom as we transition from one thing to another, as we go from one place to the next. Uh, and as we go through those, we get various uh, words that apply specifically to that time and that place. Uh, I remember a conversation that I had with my uncle uh, nearly 17 years ago. Um, I was a sophomore in college and about to transition uh, or transfer up to uh, Abilene to begin uh, my degree in ministry. Uh, and my uncle had spent some time doing ministry uh, and then uh, lives overseas, so I didn't get to see him very often. And he happened to be in town the day before I was leaving to go to Abilene, and we stayed up most of the night catching up and talking. And he shared a lot of words of wisdom, uh, specifically just to life, but then he spoke specifically to my call to ministry. Uh, and he said some really hard words. Um, he said, you need to be careful when you go out because people lie. They don't mean to, but your professors, your teachers, even ministers and your parents will lie. They teach to the best of their knowledge, but we don't always get things right. And so no matter who it is that's telling you something, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the word of God, don't take people at their word. Because we mess up. We get things wrong sometimes. And so you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. It doesn't matter who preached it. It doesn't matter who taught it. You need to find it. You need to read it for yourself. And you need to know what the scripture says. And you need to know what the truth is. And be able to defend that. Not with that's what my parents told me. Not with that's what my professor told me. But that is how I read it in my study. That is how I understand it. And he said, uh, this, he gave me this warning that I still think of any time that I get up to preach or any time that I teach a lesson. Uh, he said, I know you're going to be a great minister, but if I ever catch you regurgitating false teachings from somebody else, preaching something that you have not studied for yourself, preaching something that you do not know and that you cannot defend, he said, you'll walk through the back doors of the auditorium and you'll find me in the foyer and I will beat the life out of you. Um, my uncle is a big man. Um, and I think that's probably why I'm nervous at the beginning of every sermon. Um, because while I know he's in Cyprus, I know that um, he could be in the back of the auditorium uh, when I walk out. Um, so I take that seriously um, to study before I pass wisdom along. Uh, because through life, we're always passing things on to the next generation, passing things on to the people around us, and we don't want to teach people wrongly. We don't want to teach them something that is false. We don't want to teach them something that's untrue. Jesus gives some very strict warnings on teachers about leading people astray and warnings against that. Um, so it's important that we remember these lessons, these words of wisdom uh, that we encounter as we journey through life so that we can continue to apply them to our lives as we get older. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Remember who you are and whose you are. 
Every parent, including our Heavenly Father, wants what is best for their children. Um, God wants us to have a full life. Jesus even said that. I come so that they will have life and life to the full. Your parents want you to have a good life. That's the reason why they instill all of these things upon you, why they train you, why they teach you, why they discipline you growing up. A lot of uh, the morals and the values that are instilled upon us, that are imprinted upon us, uh, were imprinted with a hand or a belt uh, or the dreaded wooden spoon uh, in our younger, more formidable years. Um, but it was all for our own good. We didn't enjoy being punished. It wasn't something that we liked. Um, but it was something that we had to endure. And it was those punishments that we went through. It was through those spankings. It was through uh, those groundings. It was through those different things that instilled upon us a memory of how we're supposed to live. Or more importantly, how we're not supposed to live. Um, We would have those things uh, impressed upon us so that uh, the next time we thought about doing something that we weren't supposed to, we would remember the sting of that spanking. We would remember the punishment that we received the last time that we did something like this. We would remember who we were and whose we were, and it would make us stop and think. But I think that there's more to this saying of remember who you are and whose you are than just the face value and the way that we may have perceived it as children. I think as children we saw these words as a weight being laid across our shoulders, something to slow us down, something to hold us back, like tying a log to a cow's leg so it won't go too far too fast. And while there's a part of that in the purpose behind those words, there's more to it. The physical side of that saying is to be a weight, is to be a pressure. Um, Don't bring shame upon yourself. Don't bring shame upon the family. Don't uh, embarrass yourself and us. But the heart of this saying, the spirit of this saying, the words are uplifting and encouraging. They should be empowering because Doug has spent the last several weeks journeying us through our identity in Christ. And as Christ followers, we are saints. Uh, This will be slightly interactive. Um, So I just want to make sure you're still awake. Um, We are saints. Uh, And there's something to be said about that. Um, Doug has journeyed us through this process of saints is typically in our culture and in our time something, someone that we would put up on a pedestal, um, someone that we would, would exalt and we wouldn't consider ourselves to be saints, but maybe some other people that we knew we would say were saint-like people. Um, but Doug has journeyed us through these scriptures where throughout the Bible when uh, the apostles are addressing their letters to the believers of Jesus, to the followers of Jesus. They are writing to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Philippi. The, the word that was used for the Christians was saints amongst themselves. And so Doug has talked about this identity that we have as modern day saints. We are the people of God. We have been chosen. We are his children. We are his followers. And there's something to be said about people of God. 
We have a title, we have a position, we have a purpose, we have a calling. And this morning I want you to hear the message of these words, not at their face value, but with the full weight of their meaning. Remember who you are and whose you are, because you are a child of God. You are a child of the creator of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And as a child of God, you are an heir to the kingdom of God. You are made in his image and loved beyond comparison as the greatest creation. Loved so much by him that he sent his one and only son to sacrifice for you so that you would not have to spend eternity, so that he would not have to spend eternity without you, but give you a hope, a name, a place in his family, at his table, in his kingdom, to take you in and make you his own. So remember who you are and whose you are. There's a powerful scene uh, in the movie Kingdom of Heaven that came out years ago. Um, This is an action-filled movie based around the battles over Jerusalem. Um, And there's probably not a lot of historical basis to it, but there's some. Um, But uh, the storyline of the movie is based around a knight of Jerusalem uh, and uh, his search to find uh, a son that he had uh, uh, illegitimately. The knight, named Godfrey, uh, finds his illegitimate child as an adult son, uh, Balian, who's a blacksmith in a small town and is grieving the loss of his child uh, and the suicide of his wife that followed. Uh, Balian has been rejected in his community because of his illegitimacy in his birth, as well as uh, looked down upon and shamed for the decision that his wife made in taking her life. And so he has been cast out from society and abandoned by all. Um, Godfrey convinces Balian to come with him. Um, and uh, as Godfrey is dying, he takes his son and he knights him. Uh, he makes him a knight and gives him his title as a baron. Um, Balian goes on, uh, goes from being an illegitimate child, an outcast from society, shamed and looked down upon, to having a title and position. He goes from poverty in the streets to sitting at the king's table. And at the end of the movie, Balian finds himself as the last knight of Jerusalem. The Christian army has been overthrown, and the city is about to be taken over again by the Muslim army. And it leads to this powerful moment in the film that I want you to watch. Not to protect these stones, but the people living within these walls. My lord! My lord! My lord! How are we to defend Jerusalem without knights? We have no knights! Truly. What is your condition? I am servant of the Patriarch. You were born a servant. Neil. Every man at arms, or capable of bearing them, Kneel! 
On your knees! Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless. That is your oath. And that is so you remember it. Rise a knight! Rise a knight! Who do you think you are? Will you alter the world? Doesn't making a man a knight make him a better fighter? Yes. Um, it's a powerful scene, an empowering scene. People that had nothing to fight for, they had no property, they had no position, they had nothing. Um, but Balian had gone through that transition of knowing what it was like um, to no longer be what you once were, but to be something new and have a new chance at life, a new position, a new place, a new name. And so he knights every man capable of fighting. Uh, and you have this word of, does making a man a knight make him a better fighter? And you can see in the, in the change, in the tone, in the, the stature of the men that stand, that rise, they were different people than they were when they kneeled down. Um, they have a title. They have a position. They have a place. Balian gives the same charge and call that was given to him by his father when his father knighted him. The same oath. And like his father did to him, he seals the oath with a slap across the face so that he would remember. It's funny how that sting of a slap or a spanking really sticks with us as a reminder. Um, so I will be in the foyer after worship to slap everyone as they come out so that you will remember this lesson. Um, it's those times in life that sting that we remember the most, that make a deep impact, that we carry with us. And as you prepare to head out into the world, and I'm not just talking about our graduating seniors, but all of us, as we prepare to go out those doors, as we prepare to go out, um, do not go out burdened and drugged down by the pressures of this world, but run out into the world with your, with your head held high, knowing and remembering who you are and whose you are. Which questions, who are you? First Peter 2, 9, 10 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He continues to remind us, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Doug walked us through this passage a couple weeks ago. Once you were not, but now you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. Because who you are is vital to life. The title that you have as a child of God, as a saint of the living God, means something. 
You should be different. We talked a couple weeks ago about the way that we should shine in the darkness. God called us out of the darkness and into his light. And as being in his light means that we are now a light to the darkness. We should be different. Not just to sway you from going out and making a fool of yourself and your family, but that you are a chosen person. You have position. You are royal. You are a holy saint of God. You belong. You're an heir to the kingdom. Don't allow Satan and this world to get in your head and tell you any different. Don't allow the lies and deception of this world to make you think less of yourself because you are a Saint, you have been chosen by the ruler and creator of the universe. Remember who you are and whose you are. As you journey through life, you are going to face all kinds of trials. You are going to face all kinds of hardships. You are going to face all kinds of difficulties. And Satan will use these things to try to break you and make you forget who you are and whose you are. But as Doug talked about last week through the sermon uh, and, and the illustration of the wise and foolish builder, the rain and the storm came for the wise and for the foolish. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, God causes, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Satan is going to try to make you think that these storms, these struggles, these stings of life are there because God has forgotten you that God is punishing you, that God has rejected you, but God will never leave you. God has never forgotten you. He has chosen you. He has called you. He has redeemed you, and he loves you. So remember who you are and whose you are. Don't allow the stings and slaps of this world to break you, but instead have those stings and pains of the world imprint upon you that no matter what, you are loved by God. You are his child. You have been chosen. You have been given a new life with a new name. Remember who you are and whose you are. You are a saint of the Lord Most High. So as we've spent the last several weeks journeying through our identity as saints, as Christ followers, holy and chosen by God, Doug has asked people to bring up pictures of themselves. Um, so ask you to bring up a picture of yourself and post it on the wall here, um, to recognize yourself, your identity in Christ. Um, you're still allowed to bring pictures of yourself and post those up. Um, but to show as a visual reminder, the saints that meet here in Kaufman Church of Christ, um, As we close, I want us to hear these words from Hebrews 12. Um, Now, Hebrews 12 starts the chapter with a therefore. uh, And so we have to look back to see what that's there for. Um, Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. And it's this long list of people of faith, icons of faith, the saints of the early church people that were looked up to, people that were looked upon, people that had lived and walked the journey, who had walked the life of faith, to say, look, these are the people that lived a life of faith, and you should do the same. In that same way, as we close and as we read these words, I want you to hear them, uh, along with all of the stories of faith contained within the words of God and the scriptures, 
as well as looking around this room at the saints that surround you. Everyone seated here, everyone posted up on the walls. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We must remember those who have trod this road before us as well as those walking the road beside us. We must spur one another on to good deeds. Going back to Hebrews 10. We must throw off everything that holds us back, the sin, the shame, the stings of this world, and run with perseverance the race. And remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? Because he's the pioneer, the first, the trailblazer, the one who built the road, the perfecter of our faith, because he's journeyed this path before us. But the verse doesn't end there. There's a second part to verse 2. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy of the Lord set before him, or for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So, what is this joy that's set before him? We know that Jesus went back to heaven, he goes back to be with his Father back to sitting on the throne, being exalted to this high place to be this mediator for us between, uh, between us and God. And that's a great place, and that's a great joy. But at the same time, we also know that at any time, Jesus could have called his angels to take him back to heaven. Jesus gave up heaven to come to earth and journey through this world. So I don't know that the joy set before him that made it possible for him to endure the pain and suffering of the cross is heaven alone and being reunited with his father because he had it to begin with and he left and he could have called his angels at any time to take him back. So what's the joy? What is it that made him be able to endure the pains and suffering of the cross? What's the greater joy than heaven? Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went as a sacrifice so that we would have an opportunity to pass from this earth into heaven. God sent his one and only son to die on a cross as a sacrifice for us so that he would not have to spend eternity separated from us. He came and he journeyed through this world Not so that we would have an easy life here, but to pay our way into the next life. The joy set before Christ was the fact that he was able to take on the burdens and the sins, our sins, so that we could share in his heirship, so that we could share in his inheritance, so that we could share with him in all of eternity. We are the joy set before Christ so that he could endure the cross that was before him. Life eternal with us. He tells us, um, continuing in verse 3, 
The writer tells us this, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Remember what you have because of Christ, because of Christ on the cross, because of what he endured. Now you have a position. You are heir to the throne. You have heir to the kingdom of God to come to heaven. I tell you this so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, so that you will remember who you are and whose you are. He continues in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have complete, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Don't forget, remember, this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone goes un- undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all, we have all had human parents who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirit and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The Hebrews writer is saying, for those who remember who they are and whose they are, who take their identity to heart, who put it into practice in their lives, who keep their eyes focused on heaven and God in Christ, and the life that was paid for. Remember who you are and whose you are, because Christ left the splendor of heaven and journeyed through this broken and fallen world to endure the shame and suffering of the cross, not to spare us the pains of this world, but to pay our way into the next world, to complete his joy and spend life eternal with him. And so as we close... um, I want to ask the seniors if they would to come back up so I can give them something to remember this by. Um, It's not a slap. Maybe for Reagan, but... um, Now, Hope had to leave early, so I gave her her hers before uh, worship. uh, She's going on a senior trip with her mom, and and their flight leaves today. So, um, where's Reagan? No, no? All right. Then he's definitely getting slapped. Um, All right. Um, Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. Here he comes. Here we go. There's a familiar sight. So you running down the aisle. So All right. So something to remember the lesson by that you were paying so closely attention to. Um, So... um, I forged these crosses for y'all. Um, and the, what I want you to remember is, um, one, all of these crosses were cut 
from the same piece of metal, just as you are all coming from this one place, but you're being sent out in different, different directions. But that doesn't change your DNA. It doesn't change who you are. You always have a home here. More importantly, you are a part of the greater body of Christ. Um, we are all connected. We are all joined through his blood. Um, I want you to know that the forging process is not easy. There's a lot of um, torture that this metal goes through um, to be melted and, and weakened down to its, its breaking point and be pounded by a hammer and shaped and molded into uh, going from something that is, is lifeless and useless and being shaped and molded into something that has life and purpose. Um, and I want you to know that throughout the process that this cross was enduring, um, being forged and reshaped into this, um, I made it specifically for each one of you and was thinking of you and praying for you alone uh, while making each one of these specific for you in the same way as you endure the trials and the fires and the pains and the stings of life. Your Father in heaven has you at the front of his mind and is thinking of you and you alone as he shapes you, as he molds you, as he strengthens you, as he takes you from something that is without purpose, without calling, and he gives you a purpose, and he gives you a calling, and he gives you a new name and a new life. So, Hunter, this one is yours. Mallory, this one is yours. Jordan, this one is yours. So, um, remember who you are and whose you are. We are children of God. No matter what we go through in this life, no matter what we journey through, no matter how hard it gets, don't allow Satan to trick you into thinking that you are anything less than a saint, that you are anything less than a chosen child of God. You have a place, you have a position, you have a purpose, you have a calling. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for this time uh, that we've had together uh, to study your word, to hear, um, and to see the passion that you have for us, that while we go through discipline, while we go through trials, Father, you are mindful of us, and you discipline us, and we go through those pains to make us better people, to make us stronger. You discipline the ones that you love. Um, it's that discipline from you, our Father, that makes us legitimate children of yours. And Father, we thank you for the blessing that it is to call ourselves children, to be your saints, to be your light, to be uh, your representation here on earth. Father, as we leave here, I pray that you help us to always remember who we are and whose we are. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, as we wrap up, uh, Mike's going to come up and lead us in a song. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, any way that we can pray for you, serve you, help you in any way, uh, this is an opportunity for you to come. Uh, we'd love to pray for you, love to serve you. Uh, there'll be an elder up here, uh, elders in the back. Um, so if there's anything we can do for you, come while we stand and sing. foundation i know i can stand secure oh jesus
You're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I have a living hope. I have a future. God has a plan for me. Of this I'm sure. Of this I'm sure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Oh, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. Your word is faithful, mighty in power. God will deliver me, of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation, I know I can stand secure, oh Jesus, you're my firm foundation, I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy 